coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and welcome to the Wednesday show. We are dealing in the southern part of the state with a lot of Hurricane Idalia crossing into the state still as a hurricane, one of the stronger storms to hit the Big Bend area of Florida in more than 70 years. But climate change is a hoax. I'm going to put a pin in that. We won't. We'll, let's just deal with the facts right now. We have more than 200,000 folks just in Georgia who are without power. There are, of course, still flood risks throughout the state of Georgia. And now as the storm is moving into South Carolina, my thoughts are with uh, all the folks who are going to be dealing with the repercussions of Idalia as it makes its way through my hometown, Augusta, and looks like it's going to spare the coast of South Carolina. And that's a, that's a good thing. There's been, trust me, I, I lived there 11 years. We dealt with a lot of storms along the South Carolina coast. Uh, historic flooding, 100-year floods, they'd say, you know. Uh, but uh, Augusta and Columbia and Sumter, uh, be be thinking about them and and uh, the folks uh, up into uh, the northeast corner of South Carolina and onto coastal North Carolina. We've got other stuff to cover though, so let's dive right on into the politics of the day. The breaking news earlier. A breaking news: A federal judge has found former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani liable for defaming two poll workers in Georgia. Giuliani famously said one of them passed around US, USB drives, in his words, as if they were vials of heroin or cocaine during the 2020 presidential election. Wow. But the lawyer for President Trump never provided evidence of the accusation, and the judge rules against his effort to dismiss the case. There will now be a separate proceeding to determine how much he will have to pay. An advisor to Giuliani reacting by saying the decision, as far as they're concerned, should be reversed. But Giuliani confessed. <laughs> Lawyers, man. Oh, oh, these shady sons of bitches. Oh, my God. He confessed to this. Ugh. As AJC reporter David Wickert stated in a story earlier today, Giuliani doesn't contest that he made false statements. <laughs> no, but he and his attorneys now just don't want to pay those who suffered from the false statements. The article States in her 57-page order, U.S. District Judge Beryl Howell issued a default judgment against the former New York City mayor. This means that all that remains is for a jury to decide whether Giuliani should pay damages, and if so, how much. Howell's sanction is among the most severe a judge can issue against a defendant in a civil case. Howell cited Giuliani's willful refusal to turn over documents that could have shed light on whether he knowingly made false and defamatory statements about the two women. And she ordered Giuliani and his companies to pay a combined $132,857 in attorney fees at a time when he already is having difficulty paying his legal bills, although he didn't have a hard time getting a private jet to fly in, what was it, last week? To come in and pay his bond. And again, got to have money for that too. And then fly back out on that private jet from Peachtree DeCab Airport. Back to the article. The ruling affirms a claim that Giuliani defamed election workers Ruby Freeman and Wandria Shea Moss when he accused them of committing fraud during the 2020 presidential election. The case now heads to a trial by early 2024. Oh, there it is again. Election interference. Oh, wait. He's not running for anything. Solely to determine whether Giuliani must pay damages for spreading the false claims. 
Listen to what Giuliani's, uh, is it an attorney? No, an advisor. Listen to what a Giuliani advisor said after Beryl Howell's decision. This 57-page opinion on discovery, which would usually be no more than two or three pages, is a prime example of the weaponization of the justice system where the process is the punishment. That is Ted Goodman, political advisor to Rudy Giuliani, telling reporters today. This decision should be reversed as Mayor Giuliani is wrongly accused of not preserving electronic evidence that was seized and held by the FBI. Back to that article in the AJC. In previous court filings, attorneys for Giuliani had claimed he could not produce documents because they had been seized by federal authorities in an unrelated criminal investigation. The, the thing that about uh, this is Rudy Giuliani was an attorney, remember? He got his law license revoked because he was an attorney. And through all of this crap, he's had his license revoked. He knows full well that just because he thinks he handed something over to law enforcement, that, that doesn't mean that he can't retain a copy of it. Also, let's revisit the story. Freeman and Moss, here's from the AJC article, counted ballots at State Farm Arena on election night, November 2020. A few weeks later, Rudy, acting as Trump's attorney, unveiled snippets of surveillance video, snippets, of that counting at a legislative hearing in Atlanta. He said the video was a, quote, smoking gun that proved election fraud. The article continues, it was not. State and federal investigators reviewed the entire video, not snippets, the entire video, and interviewed the workers and numerous witnesses. They concluded the video showed only normal ballot counting and the workers did nothing wrong. But Giuliani and Trump continued to spread false claims about Freeman and Moss by name. The mother and daughter endured harassment and death threats. Is that making America great again? And Freeman fled her home for months on the advice of the FBI. Back to the article. The election workers filed motions to sanction Giuliani and ultimately for a default judgment. In July, Giuliani conceded his statements were false. Though he did not concede, they damaged the plaintiffs. So, wait a minute. You're, you need to produce the evidence. You say you can't produce the evidence because DOJ or FBI took it. The dog ate his homework. But you also conceded that the statements were false anyway. But now you're like, well, it didn't cause them any damage. Dude, first of all, let's talk about how ungrateful a job it is to work on election day. For any election board, it's thankless, menial labor. You make not nearly what it's worth if you make money at all. And then for Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss to have to deal with having to live somewhere else for months and the harassment, the death threats, getting law enforcement involved... That sort of psychological trauma, terrorism, I might call it, it doesn't just have a fiscal cost. It has a physical cost. It does damage to one's internals. As I'm sure Rudy Giuliani is quite aware now because I'm thinking his stomach's been in knots since January 6, 2021. Back to the article in Wednesday's ruling, 
uh, Judge Beryl Howell blasted Giuliani's refusal to comply with court orders to produce documents, as well as his public claims that the election workers' efforts to obtain documents amounted to using the litigation process to punish him. Donning a cloak of victimization, she said, may play well on a public stage to certain audiences. Fox News, O-A-N-N. But in a court of law, this performance has served only to subvert the normal process of discovery in a straightforward defamation case. With the concomitant necessity of repeated court intervention. The bottom line is that Giuliani has refused to comply with his discovery obligations and thwarted the plaintiff's procedural rights. So today, Judge Beryl Howell decided that Giuliani and his company will have to pay attorney's fees to cover the plaintiff's cost of trying to obtain the documents from him. That amount, again, was more than $100,000, $132,857. However, there's a strong likelihood there's a lot more money coming to Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, if there's any blood left in that turnip. You know, as we enter football season, pro and college, Vegas odds makers have all kinds of bets that they like to make, especially on the big game, the, the, the Super Bowl. They like to make a bet on how long the national anthem lasts. They, they seriously do that. They make bets about everything. I really wish Vegas odds makers would start betting pools on what do you bet Ruby Freeman or Shea Moss see a dime of what they're owed from this scumbag. God, how far... America's mayor has fallen since that fateful day or nearly 22 years ago. By the way, while we're on the subject of voter fraud, why is it every time we find out that there actually is voter fraud somewhere, there's almost always a conservative guilty of it? Have you noticed that lately? I mean, I guess maybe that's why they feel like their complaints are valid. We know they're cheating because we're cheating. Again, from ABC News, Alabama lawmaker arrested on voter fraud charges. This legislator was arrested Tuesday on felony voter fraud charges, accusing him of voting in a district where he did not live. Didn't Herschel Walker's wife do that? How did she? I'm still trying to figure out how how that was kind of like, no big deal. We're just going to let that go. Republican Representative David Cole of Huntsville was arrested on charges of voting in an unauthorized location, according to Madison County jail records. The details of the charge were not immediately available in court records, but the arrest comes after accusations that Cole did not live in the district in which he was elected. Huh. Cole, who is a doctor and army veteran, was elected to the House of Representatives last year. Voter fraud is a Class C felony, according to this ABC News article, punishable by up to 10 years in prison. The Alabama Attorney General's Office is prosecuting the case against Cole, a spokeswoman confirmed. House Speaker Nathaniel Ledbetter issued a statement Tuesday saying he had learned of Cole's arrest and is waiting to learn more details. In recent years, the Alabama House has prioritized legislation that promotes election integrity, and we believe that any allegation of fraud must be addressed regardless of the party, public official, or candidate involved, Ledbetter said. All right. I mean, that's refreshing, right, to see a Republican holding one of their own accountable. By the way, before you thinking this was some sort of hyper-partisan issue, this was brought on by a libertarian candidate by the name of Elijah Boyd. He was also a candidate for that seat in that district, and he filed an election challenge in civil court, according to the article, according uh, arguing Cole did not live in District 10 and was not eligible to represent 
the district. Libertarians in general tend to be pretty liberal about pot and conservative about everything else. <laughs> Am I right? That's what worries me about Bill Maher these days, man. Bill Maher has made a wicked turn to the cranky old conservative guy realm of life, interestingly enough. But, uh, you know, that's just another one of those, you know, I, th- I think eating their own sort of moments. Kind of like when you watch the GOP primary debates, those folks don't get along very well with each other. And we're supposed to unite across party lines to get stuff done? Ooh. All right, we got lots more to cover in today's show. Atlanta Magazine has been around for a long time, and a lot of folks really like reading Atlanta Magazine. And now there are staffers walking out. Will Atlanta Magazine survive this? We'll discuss. There is this movement to anti-woke a newspaper that I don't think many people thought was all that woke to begin with. Interesting, right? Also, what appears to be a violation of your right to free speech, we'll discuss what that is later on the show. Here on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Thank you for listening however you do. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Wednesday. One of the local stories that's sort of gaining a little bit of traction, some eyeballs, is the fact that there is like a staff walkout happening. I believe half the full-time staff at Atlanta Magazine has said, buh bye and the editor-in-chief will be stepping down at the end of the year. The Washington Post, by the way, all over this story, uh, Laura Wagner writing that there is, here's the headline, a crackdown on woke coverage that's tearing the Atlanta Magazine apart. The subheadline, the publisher pushed back on their effort to present a modern picture of life in one of the blackest, queerest cities in the South, calling it divisive. Now half the staff has quit. Let me ease you into the story a little bit. I'll share it in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. I think the WAPO has a paywall. I don't know if I'm subscribing or not, but I'm reading it. On a hot Tuesday in late June, staffers at Atlanta Magazine gathered for a tense meeting with longtime publisher Sean McGinnis. On his agenda, pronouns. Are we, as a matter of fact, now writing stories based upon preferred pronouns, McGinnis asked, citing to a recent profile of a labor organizer. She is referred to as they throughout the story, McGinnis said. One editor responded that using pronouns corresponding with a subject's identity is standard journalistic practice, not a left or right thing. The publisher disagreed, according to a recording of the meeting obtained by the Washington Post. People will think that that is taking a stance. When someone at the clout of Sean McGinnis says, people will think, dot, 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 you can best believe that what they're saying is, see, I use there instead of, because I'm not speaking of just Sean McGinnis, I'm speaking of people like Sean McGinnis, people who want to say things like, people will think that, dot, dot, dot. What they're really saying is people around me are going to be bothered by this and I don't want to catch the flack. The article continues, it was hardly the first time colleagues have disagreed over editorial choices in Atlanta or anywhere in the media industry where business concerns, personal politics, and news judgment often come into conflict. But McGinnis' statements and subsequent requests to approve editorial content ahead of publication marked a tipping point in a small-scale culture war 
that had been building for a few years within the award-winning magazine. Staffers saw the interference as an egregious crackdown on coverage that management deems as too, quote, progressive at a time when they are resolved to reflect the evolving reality of Atlanta, one of the blackest, queerest cities in the South. Now three of its six full-time editorial staffers have resigned, citing untenable corporate interference, and the editor-in-chief has announced plans to retire at the end of the year. Any journalist would feel challenged to work in a place where the line between the edit side and the business side is as eroded as it's become this year, departing deputy editor Sam Worley wrote in his resignation letter this month. That editorial independence is the bedrock of what we do, and it's why readers trust us. Article continues, McGinnis did not respond to repeated messages and emails. His current and former employees say they are concerned that their longtime boss's perception of Atlanta's leftward drift is based less on his own opinion than on orders from his bosses, the owners of a Michigan-based publishing company that purchased Atlanta and several other regional magazines who, McGinnis told them, believe, quote, woke coverage is bad for business and wants it to stop. You have to understand now, and, and the article points to this, that Atlanta Magazine, a lot of magazines like Atlanta Magazine, often begin as like Chamber of Commerce puff pieces, pro-business, pro-come-here, Pro, bring your business here. Pro, bring your family and vacation here sort of magazines. And in the case of Atlanta Magazine, it eventually got bought by a publisher that was a little bit more freewheeling, a little bit more liberal and, and, and willing to embrace the uniqueness of Atlanta's perpetually divergent population as white flight took them out, OTP, outside the perimeter. Atlanta's cultural uniqueness brought a tableau that that publisher at the time, I want to say his name was like Jim Townsend, wanted to display in that magazine. But as is the case with just about all of American business at this point, in particular the print industry, the print industry like like radio, I talk about radio all the time because he's working. The print industry and radio industry are suffering huge hemorrhaging losses because print and radio as advertising mediums are just not where the eyeballs are going anymore. It's hard for your local TV stations to make money anymore because there's other places for the eyeballs to go. TikTok. <laughs> Yeah, cable tell it sure, but even the cable operators are having a hard time staying afloat. Even the cable channels are having a hard print and radio as mediums are relics. Print way more than even radio. I mean, radio's only been around for a little more than a hundred years. Print's been around for thousands as an advertising medium, as a means for advertising. So What's unfortunate is that there is this movement of consolidation in the print and radio industries, television as well, that takes away the uniqueness, the locality. And you have this voice, this this Sean McGinnis, who, where the hell is he based out of? And this Michigan-based company 
with its conservative ideology, apparently, chiming in on what the six full-time employees and their editor-in-chief should be focusing on here in Atlanta. One of the things that I had to learn while working in radio as a station manager was that when I moved to a new city, you can't just come in with a bullheaded conception of ideas on how your station should sound. You should get to know the city your station broadcasts to. I had to learn that. My first programming job, I went to a small town in the middle of Louisiana, and I thought, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a top 40 station. You just program the hit, play the hits. But, but the hits in Alexandria, at Louisiana, aren't the hits in Oxnard, California, or Mobile, Alabama, where I was coming from, or New Orleans, or Myrtle Beach. These are all distinct, different cities. Atlanta's a very different city. You can't have a Michigan company dictating editorial policy here in Atlanta. Except in corporate consolidated America, that's exactly what's happening. We'll be following this story. More on show after this on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Aside from being politically savvy and a commentator of all things public policy and pop culture, I'm also a realtor with EXP Realty. And I don't know if you saw this recently, but Housing and Urban Development, HUD, decided, you know what? First-time homebuyers deserve a break on their mortgage insurance premium. It's a way that you, the individual buyer, can save on your mortgage insurance premium. It had been spiked up about 11, 12 years ago after the housing crash to 0.85% the cost of the mortgage. Well, they lowered it to 0.55%. And that can save you, I don't know, anywhere from 60 to 75 maybe $100 a month, depending on the price of the home you're going to purchase. Now, you may not think that that's a big deal, but if you are a renter right now, ask yourself, is your landlord going to cut your rent by 75 to 100 bucks? a month? We both know the answer. Stop patting your landlord's bottom line and start patting your own when you buy your first home. Give me a call 843-283-0078 or email me ron at rononthereal.com. Georgia MLS 396-720. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is the Ron Show on America One Radio. All right. Politically speaking, just about the biggest story of the day right now is a lot of silence from Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell. Let's listen to that silence. It was kind of awkward. Senator, you're up for election in three short years. What are your thoughts on that? I'm sorry, I had a hard time hearing you. That's okay. What are your thoughts on running for re-election in 2026? What are my thoughts about what? Running for re-election in 2026. Oh, that's uh... Did you hear the question, Senator? Running for re-election in 2026? Yes. All right, I'm sorry, you all. We're going to need a minute. Senator. Any. And then he just stood there. <laughs> okay. Somebody else have a question? Please speak up. Now, this is where I look at us on the left and say, "Uh uh-uh, don't say a word. Seriously, I know that it's it's low-hanging fruit, and we want to talk about how old Mitch McConnell is, and McConnell should step down. And I mean, right now, 
McConnell's not going to step down because the governor of Kentucky is a Democrat. And I, I mean, I don't know Kentucky's constitution, but usually the governor appoints the fill in, right? I could sit here while I'm staring at a computer. Who would appoint Kentucky interim senator? I have no idea how this works. Uh, the governor. Governor shall fill the vacancy. Okay, so I guess that's a U.S. thing. Did not know that. I thought that was a state-by-state state thing. In any event, so no, Mitch McConnell or whoever is pulling Mitch's levers anymore isn't going to step down. He still has, as you heard the reporter ask, three years before considering running for re-election. He's not going to run for re-election. I mean, there's no guarantee. I mean, I'm not trying to be crass when I say this. Tomorrow's never guaranteed for any of us. For Mitch McConnell, it carries a little more weight. But we on the left cannot have a discussion. We cannot be crass. We cannot be, ah, we cannot do that. Why? Uh, two names pop right, well, three actually pop right to mine. Dianne Feinstein. Has anyone seen Dianne Feinstein lately? The other two names that come to mind, and my man is just kicking. I mean, he is as vigorous as as I am, and I'm 40 years as junior. Well, not 40, but 35 years as junior. Bernie Sanders, man, he was on Meet the Press this week just spitting. I mean, just like, not like old man spitting, you know, the spittle. No, I mean, he was just like, he was on fire, man. He was, ugh. He don't like, he's aged since 2016, and we thought he was too old back then. I didn't. I was perfectly willing to. Cast my lot for that guy. Might still... Oh, I can't. I can't. Because he's he's in his 80s now. As is the current president of the United States, Joseph Robinette Biden. Democrats, we cannot make fun. We cannot make light of the Mitch McConnell situation. Should he step down? Oh, absolutely. Will he step down? Hell no, you know he's not going to step down. This is one of those moments where maybe Gavin Newsom and Andy Bashir, the governor of Kentucky, get on the phone and say, so here's what we do. For, for the good of the Republic, will you just, just appoint, ask for a short list of names from the state GOP leader or something like that, pick one, and I'm going to pick somebody for, for Diane, and we're going to move on. But also, this, this comes, again, back to me hoping that there is talks of a contingency plan for the Biden-Harris campaign, the Biden-Harris presidency, if he is reelected in 2024. Like, who's going to step up if, God forbid, President Biden starts freezing up like that? And understand this. Those who like to chortle and, and point to his, his, his foibles when he speaks, the man has battled and lived with a stutter all of his life. I attribute a large portion of his missteps on a dais behind a podium to his battling that stutter that he has battled and dealt with his entire life. He's also... Not a young man. He's more than 30 years older than I am. And I don't know about y'all, but like the, 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 the text on my iPhone, I mean, it's not huge. 
my buddy Richard in Gainesville, he's got huge text. I don't even know how he reads text messages. It's the 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 words kind of flow up, <laughs> flow up the screen, you know, like in a, a a completely longitudinal manner, completely vertical, like the letters are stacked one atop each other. His text is so huge on his consumer cellular phone. I'm kidding, Richard. I'm kidding. No hard feelings. His text is huge. Mine is not awful, but I do have it larger. I would say than probably most people do. I don't know. Maybe not. When I see screen grabs of other people's text messages that, you know, they send to me or whatever. I don't know. It's not that bad, but like I have my, my, my backgrounds darkened and uh, I prefer to see the font in white and it's probably a little larger. I'm not going to fiddle with my iPhone right now to see where the, where it's set, but I know it's set higher than the lowest because I'm 49 years old and I've been battling eyesight issues. I have an astigmatism in my left. I've been battling that since I was a little kid. Joe Biden, I'm saying, I'm telling you, Joe Biden deals with the stutter and he has battled it and he has largely overcome it. The dude is president of the United States. Yeah, he, he overcame it. Is it still an issue for him? Sure. As will anything be when you're Joe Biden's age. But he's also reading off of teleprompters. Has anyone ever given a speech that's listening off a teleprompter? They don't get to do what I do on my iPhone with the black background and the thicker font, the brighter screen. A teleprompter is almost invariably a semi-clear piece of glass with the speech already preloaded on it and they ain't printed on black paper. And rolling, or you know, whatever, what, whatever program they're on, you you can't you can't do like my man Richard did and have the text the, the the font so big that you're reading vertical. And who can read vertical while speaking anyway, right? So I I, I fully understand, and I, I I give a free pass for for Grandpa Joe overcoming his stutter. And for reading at a senior age and without glasses, is he, does he have contacts? We should Google that. Does he have contacts? Does Joe Biden wear contacts? Like he's constantly doing that, like either with aviators or no glasses. Does Joe Biden wear contact lenses? Recently, I saw a whole live audience raised concern when former Vice President Joe Biden's eye began to change color. Wait, his eyes change colors? Whoa. Uh, he did wear glasses in 2013. Um, okay. So I'm going to guess that he's wearing contacts. And shoot, listen, kudos for somebody who's uh, around 80 years old for wearing contacts even. I am 49 and I can't put those things in my eyes. I, I literally cannot do that. I'm like, uh, uh, I'm just stabbing myself. It's terrible. I cannot do it. So I guess my overarching memo to liberals, progressives, those on the left who want to like make some hay with what Mitch McConnell's dealing with. I'm telling y'all, don't do it. I know it's low hanging fruit. You think you can make some hay with this. There's nothing to gain by having that conversation or making light of his situation. There just isn't. It, it, it is what, and it's, it's not just because they're going to say, well, what about Dianne Feinstein? What about what about Joe Biden? But just from a political point of view, 
If you are the God, is he is he the Senate Minority Leader? Is he still the leader? Oh my God! See, if anything, if anything, if I'm a Republican, I'm thinking, uh, should should we should we let somebody else be House Minority Leader? Do you, I, I mean, is that is that disrespectful to start asking that question? This is another one of those scenarios where the 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 GOP has the power to sort of prevent some national, I don't want to say embarrassment, but they didn't do anything about Trump, that's for sure. Um so would it be wrong for them to maybe caucus as a group and say, so we think we need a new Senate minority leader and let let Mitch McConnell kind of Wander off into Feinstein land. <laughs> Whatever Diane's doing these days, it ain't that. You know what I mean? It ain't that. Because she's not doing public appearances and she's not she's not in a position of, of leadership where she needs to. Man, if, the, if Chuck Schumer were doing that, oh, we'd be gritting our teeth. We'd be like, oh, my God, somebody else has to step up. And I kind of think that's... The kind thing, eh, kindness, empathy. We're asking Republicans to exhibit two traits that they're just not noted for. That's to me the first step. The GOP needs to find another Senate minority leader. And no disrespect to McConnell, who I cannot stand politically. The man has stolen Supreme Court seats from Obama and then turned around and said, well, I didn't mean that that way when he basically stole one from Joe Biden. Well, you can say he stole one or the other. You could say both, but he definitely stole one Supreme Court seat when he didn't allow Merrick Garland to even get a vote and then ignored the logic that he tried to create to make that precedent when he granted Donald Trump the opportunity to appoint someone else was it Amy Coney Barrett. And she got the vote just completely ignore. And that's, that's, that's only like one of the top things that I cannot stand about Mitch McConnell. I mean, that that's probably number one, but there are many other reasons I cannot stand Mitch McConnell. I, I'm still compassionate enough, stupid liberal progressive tree hugger, empathetic, sympathetic, dumbass me. I'm still sort of thinking, hey, Republicans, you, you got to pull that guy. Come on. Do you see what he's... Come on. What are you waiting for? Okay, so, you know, he doesn't have to step down. He can still vote, right, in key measures. My God, we wheeled in a, a, a nearly dead Ted Kennedy to get the Affordable Care Act passed. Whatever you got to do to get the vote in, get the vote in. But... For the sake of him, if nothing else, for the sake, for his own sake, pull him from that position of leadership. Tell him he's got to do it. It's glaringly obvious he doesn't need to be standing up and taking questions from reporters anymore. This has happened twice in the last two months. And it's, it's not even like, well, you know, he's in his 40s, you know, maybe there's a... 
you know what? I didn't even think about it. We, we, we can't really make light of this either because we've got a senator from Pennsylvania who is overcoming a stroke, and he's doing so, but he's also smart enough to, for the most part, avoid podiums and microphones and reporters asking questions because he's got to... Re- but that guy's not as old as Mitch McConnell. Like, there is the likelihood that that guy's going to get better. Mitch McConnell's not going to get better. So yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just like begging the GOP. Come on, y'all, for for your own guy's sake here. You got to do something. You got to do something. Don't worry about what Andy Bashir would do. Okay, keep him in office. Keep him Feinstein away. <laughs> She's a verb now, for God's sakes. And and we have to, as as liberals, as the Democrats admit that, like this is long overdue too. Yes. Honor her, praise her, all she's done in the past. I get it. We're talking about now. We're talking about now. We're the greatest country in the world, and 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 we have <laughs> we have octogenarians still in positions of power, and their faltering abilities are problems. They just are. Back after this. The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for Wednesday, and uh, hopefully wherever you are, you are safe, and the weather is calming, or is calm where you are. We have people who may be listening from all over the country, all over the world, but primarily in the Big Bend area of Florida, and southern and southeastern Georgia, and now into South Carolina, where I have a few friends who listen from back where I lived in Myrtle Beach. Uh, The effects of Adelia, of course, are affecting Adelia, not... Vidalia, great onions, by the way. Anyway, hopefully uh, everyone is coming through that safe and sound. I wanted to close the show sort of debating with myself a little bit because my first reaction to this tweet from Mark Neese at the AJC had me going, wait a minute, why are they doing that? The tweet, want to reach a state senator in Georgia? Good luck with that. The Senate website has hidden email addresses requiring you to instead fill out a form. Then if you don't live in their district, you get a message telling you to contact your own district senator instead. My initial reaction to that is, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And, and maybe this will move on to the House as well. And we should probably talk maybe with friends of the show. Uh, Dr. Michelle Au could, uh, could chime in if, if she feels free. In fact, I need to reach out to her. I haven't talked to her in quite a while. It's just interesting that there's now another barrier for constituents to reach out to their representative. You know how hard it is to call anyway. It's, first of all, it's, it's a beating. Nobody likes a phone call. But you also have to deal with the menu options because they've recently changed. They always recently change. Have you noticed that? <laughs> and then you're going to land in somebody's voicemail or you're going to get some intern, bless their hearts, for picking up the phone. The email is the easy way to do it, right? Pop, 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 just chat away. And social media used to be a pretty easy way to do it too. And of course, you are protected. Free speech protects you from being blocked by your senator or House of Representative, uh, state representative, or whatever office holder you're looking to reach, actually, at any level of government. And it's pretty easy. Like the, the formula for the Georgia lawmaker emails is kind of basic. It's like first name, dot last name, at 
senate.ga.gov or house.ga.gov if it's a state representative. But make no mistake, this creates another barrier. For whatever reason you want to reach out to your representative, this creates another barrier. You have to either know the formula, first name, dot last name, at house.ga.gov or senate.ga.gov, or you have to go through this form only to be told, uh, that senator may not be your senator, so reach out to your senator. Alex Bowles, in the Mark Neese tweet, chimes in asking the question backwards, if you ask me. And I said as much. What legitimate reason do you have for contacting a representative other than your own? Well, Alex, or anyone who asks that same question while I'm having this conversation, I believe that the question's backwards. What legitimate reason do representatives who legislate statewide laws have for not wanting to face the music from those who are affected that have no power to unelect them? Besides, what if, let, let me hearken back to the movie Independence Day. <laughs> What if we're in a situation where a lawmaker has a really complex, big problem to deal with, and some far-off scientist or, I don't know, dietitian or whatever wants to chime in to let them know, I, I have the answer for you, but then they get stuck. Oh, well, that's not your state representative. Talk to your state representative. <laughs> I mean, okay, I realize that's a little far-fetched, but still, it's a barrier. There shouldn't be barriers to constituents reaching out to representatives in government. In fact, I'm no lawyer, but let me just go ahead and save the state of Georgia some money. Somebody's going to sue you. Somebody, I'm not, not me, but somebody is going to see an opportunity to sue the state and enrich some attorneys. So maybe we should kind of undo this. On the flip side, let me argue why they may be doing this. <laughs> Ron, you're disagreeing with yourself? No, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. It's becoming quite annoying to answer a phone call. And, and understand, I'm a realtor. I get phone calls from all sorts of area codes. And I generally just answer them. Why? Because you never know when somebody is moving to Atlanta or has moved to Atlanta, but kept their old cell phone number from where they were before, and wants to call me out of the blue because they saw me on Google or my social media and wants me to help them buy or sell a house. Hey, man, I like getting paid. I'm taking a phone call, you know? I just don't know where it's coming from. This is a very transient city, so there are a lot of area codes you're going to get random phone numbers from. As a realtor, though, I get hounded by telemarketers who want to help me find the latest, greatest health insurance because, you know, we're independent contractors, basically. We don't get insurance through our employment. Or lead generation or something along those lines. So I get all kinds of calls, and I have to, I just answer them, and it's always a call center. Almost always a call center. So that's pretty annoying, as is spam email. We all get a ton of spam email. Can you imagine being a state senator or a U.S. senator? Can you imagine the crap you get, the spam? Maybe in Washington they have, like, the best <laughs> spyware that filters all that stuff out. But that's what I'm thinking. Maybe this is one way to limit the junk that comes in. Eh, just playing devil's advocate. 
I still happen to think that this is a barrier and someone's going to sue the state for this. To me, it feels like an open shut case, an infringement to the right to free speech. And we've already tested this theory when it comes to elected officials blocking constituents on social media. Cannot do that. Anyway, that's it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. First on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, and then wherever you podcast. You can get more at ronshowatl.com. Have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow.